welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Today, I'm speaking with acclaimed outsinger-songwriter Tom Goss, who's just released his new single, Keyside, from his upcoming album, Territories. In a departure for the guitar-toting troubadour, Goss explores new musical territory with the single, opting for contemporary synth-pop and guitar instrumentation. Featuring acclaimed songwriter Gregory Douglas and produced by Ian Carmichael, the chill summer song shares the delicate story of entering into a polyamorous relationship. I recently chatted at length with Tom about the new track and how his own perceptions of love and relationships shape the narrative of the upcoming album. A veteran of seven albums, Goss has played over a thousand shows in over a hundred cities around the globe, and his music has been featured on ABC, HBO, and Univision. A college wrestler turned Catholic seminarian turned polyamorous gay songwriter, Goss is well known in the LGBTQ world for his music videos for Bears, Round in All the Right Places, and his cover of the Dusty Springfield classic, Son of a Preacher Man, which reimagines the video as a poignant ballad about two gay teens. Racking up more than 12 million views of his music videos, Goss has been praised by press outlets like The Washington Post, The Advocate, The Daily Beast, Huff Post, Billboard, Instinct Magazine, and more. Let's take a listen to Keyside, and then we'll chat with Tom Goss.
Goss, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Awesome, awesome. You know, I was just checking notes. The first time I interviewed you was 2012. It feels like it feels like that was last year, doesn't it? That's the way it feels to me. Three times today, I was like, "Next year's 1919." I mean, 2019, <laughs> and I was like, "No, it's almost halfway over already." I think we were talking about your album, "Lost Songs and Underdogs." That just seems like yesterday to me. It really does. It honestly feels like four lifetimes ago to me. <laughs> does it really? I, I can imagine it would because, yeah. you know, it's interesting about, I was looking back and, you know, when I first heard your music, I thought, well, I know who Tom Goss is, you know, kind of pop folk, coffee house, guitar toting troubadour, which is a phrase I still love. You know, and I'm thinking rise and come around. And then you did Lost Songs and Underdogs. And I think you went into the woods to record that in a cabin. You got a little scared. Yeah. but it was, And you did it all yourself, and, and it yeah, had yeah. this intimacy to it. I thought, oh, that's still Tom Goss. It's just a little more – this is like coming into this intimate space. You do keep evolving, going different ways. There, there's Bears, which is totally boisterous and everyone loves. Totally, yeah, totally yeah, yeah. not Lost Songs and Underdogs. <laughs> no. <laughs> so every time I think – I know where you are musically. You don't like veer left, but you kind of like lean into another direction. And so the new song. Just wait until this whole record. It's so different. The new album, Territories, is described as a bold new album that explores exciting creative territories, which already has me intrigued. <laughs> and so I've heard the new song, Keyside. See, I said it right. And I love it musically because this is different. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love, by the way. The production is awesome. It's more pop synth, electronic stuff. Well, what's interesting is a lot of artists can't shift like yeah. that. And it seems totally suitable for you. So tell me how you came about. I'm going to speak to all of this. All of this. There's a lot of things that you just said. Um, but first of all, I'd just like to say, like, as an artist, it's not really interesting. Like, if you get really good at making a grilled cheese sandwich... You're not like, all I want to do for the rest of my life is make this grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. You're like, there's other things that I want to make. So you start exploring different different ways to taste and different flavors and all this kind of different things. So for me, creating, I think, I think when I created Rise and then when I created Back to Love, I, I was like, I think Rise was just kind of me like testing my grounds and Back to Love was kind of me first trying to do it. And I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. And when I went back to make Turn It Around, it was almost like an extension of Back to Love, which I feel like now as, as and I also have to say I have no training, no musical training, no Do anything. Really? I'm just like, no. So just so all of the, you're literally watching my development from the jump. So I feel like in retrospect, I feel like that was also a missed opportunity to do something different even. It's really weird to speak about it in retrospect because this is now 10 years ago almost. I, when I went to do Lost Songs and Other Dogs, I was so green and I so, had no idea what I was doing that I had to believe that I could actually do it. I was starting to believe that the only reason that the things that I do are good is because of everybody else involved with them. And I ceased to, to recognize the common denominator in all of the projects, which was me. So Lost Songs and Underdogs was great for that, which gave me kind of a little more courage to go make 
things like bears from a visual perspective and things like weight, which I think is like super fun and a really great triumph as well. And I think weight is probably the record I should have made when I made Turn It Around that had a little more evolution. You know, What Doesn't Break had had an evolution. And, 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 you know, it's also been, oh, 13 years since I made my first record. Isn't that amazing? You know? Yeah. Yes. You know, sound has changed. Production has changed. I have changed. You know, I was... You know, I was even 25 at my first record, so I was pretty old uh, at, at getting started. But yeah, and so for me, I have just been like, when I'm listening to music, I'm listening to to more pop music, but also listening to a lot of ambient stuff and a lot of electronic stuff. And really, you know, I think there was a a, a change sonically when when um, when like Lord came out, and there's there's uh, you know kind of became the track was was king in a way instead of the song was king and i think that's been interesting and, and detrimental to the music business at the same time but for me i do love the production of of these tracks and i do love you know for me when i make my records there's so much in them it's just like a wall of sound like smashing and it's a very a big wall which is like square and for this record i really wanted to round those edges and be really specific with the sounds that i was using and create something that was more like a blanket, less like a wall and more like a blanket. I put out a remix album, I think it was 2014, and I met this, this actually, I hadn't even met him yet. Ian Carmichael is his name, and he, he's in Manchester, and he's brilliant, and he remixed a couple of my tracks, and it's, I was just like, this is amazing stuff. This is exactly the kind of sound that I love. And so when I went to, when I went to record this record, I called him up, well, I shot him an email. We had not even met, to be honest. And I, I sent him an email. He was living in Manchester, and I was in Europe at the time. And I was like, I'm going to be in London. Can I hop over to Manchester, and can we have lunch? I want to talk to you about this new project. I sent him four demos, and I was like, I'm going in a really different direction. And I, you know, we, and then I said, it's going to be a totally different sound, and I think you're the perfect person for this. So we sat down. We just talked for hours and hours and hours about life and about love and about music, and it just seemed like a really wonderful fit. It's been the most amazing and positive experience from a creation standpoint that I've ever had because I, 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 don't, I think there might have been one time where we disagreed on the most minor of things, but I was just constantly in sync and and I think what this record does is it takes the the kind of the kind of modern track centric music and then blends it with what I think is most important to me and which is which I think is the most important part of music and art and creation and that's the story that you're telling uh, so it's, it's really focusing on creating a, a really dynamic engaging gripping story and then telling that from start to finish so that's how i feel like i'm talking a lot but i'm only halfway through is that okay no no it's good it's good it's my podcast i can do what i want good 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 so that's really from the sonic perspective from the like storytelling perspective is it just was a really difficult it's been a really kind of like tumultuous three years or so for me in in that my my husband my husband and I opened my relationship, which was very difficult for me. I spent a lot of time struggling with that and a lot of time just being really introspective and in a way just trying to survive and trying to understand, trying to – and obviously this is all an evolution too. So at the, at, the, at the beginning, really trying to understand 
my role is helping my husband find the thing he was searching for, support him in the changing man that he was becoming. And I was a little lost in knowing where I fit in along those lines. And so I think that that definitely made me a little, well, it definitely made me very introspective and I think changed the ways in which I told stories because it was very painful for me. And I came to a decision early on. I think, I think you see people in the world that are angry and that are hard. And it's obvious that that's coming from a deep place of hurt. And I think I see that within members of my own family and see the, I don't want to say the tendency, but the gene in me to just close and become that. And I made an effort very early on, a conscious decision that my responsibility to myself was to continue to open more and more and more, to love more and more and more, and to not, to try my best not to protect at all. Mm -hmm. You know, people, I can open and people can choose to hurt me, including my husband as a result of that, or my family or whoever. And when you say choose to not protect, you mean protect yourself from harm, I think you mean. No, I don't mean like physical harm. No, you're right, the emotional harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. like emotional harm. Um, so wall like doesn't go heart. up. Like, like, yeah, wall doesn't go up. Continue to be open-hearted and like say to the world, like, this is me, and, and you don't have to accept that, and you don't have to love that. But I also don't have to take that personally. You know, it's so much easier said than done. So you started like baby steps on this, this journey, and baby steps on this. You know, and you also have to understand that Mike's my first boyfriend. Mike's the first person I ever dated. So I think in addition to the emotional fear, there was, a, there was also like a physical intimacy fear in, in my, you know, you're essentially taking, and I, mean not, I mean, Mike and I have been together for 10 years, so we obviously have been intimate a lot of times for 10 <laughs> years. But you're, you're still, you know, you're, you're, it's like, you, you, it's just one thing all the time, and that's, that's great. But it's also like, there's a whole world out there that's very frightening because you have, we live in a society that tells us what, sex is and what relationship is mm-hmm. and what monogamy is and what this is. And, and when you come out as gay, you know, a whole bunch of that falls to the ground and you have to learn how to live with that. And when you open your relationship, it does the same exact thing. Like a whole, a whole bunch of those internal constructs that you believe are innate to you, you start having to question, are these innate to me or are these something that's learned? Is this a learned behavior and is this a learned thought? And so that's really what I, I was kind of um, struggling through and, and kind of like walking through. And in that process, just to simplify things, I, I met someone and just like really connected and fell in love. You know, I, I'm not going to say I don't think I know that I'm not a person that's interested in, in purely physical connections. Does it really work for me? So for me, you know, I want to have, I want to have really impactful emotional experiences as well. So I think for me, the, the idea of physicality and open-heartedness is, is very important to me. And, and I want my intimate experiences with my husband or with another person to be really open and connective. 
you know, I met somebody and really connected and fell in love and just kind of started this journey of, of what that means. And it's been really difficult for me. And it's been really difficult for my husband. It's been really hard to understand what that means. Cause now there's a whole nother thing, a set of walls that are falling down and you're trying to question, you're trying to understand. And so for me, you know, for me, the whole record is really, is really trying to understand how I engage in the world at large in a positive, honest way. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it really puts a spotlight on the openness of the, the opening of the relationship and the falling in love with another person and the wanting to be respectful of that person and wanting to be respectful of my husband and wanting to be respectful of me and wanting to be respectful of my lover husband and all of these kind of things. And it just becomes a mindfuck very quickly. I'm glad you mentioned society because I agree completely that society is what puts these things on us. And that goes back to, I've said for many, many years, you know, the negative effects of how we view ourselves as LGBTQ people is all derived of how society views or treats the community at large. And so we, when we're dealing with even just being gay, as you mentioned, that's your first step. When we're dealing with that, we're dealing with that because it's a learned thing and, and we've seen – it's like racism also. Like I was writing earlier today about racism, and there was a video clip from 1978 and these kids attacking black kids that were moving into a middle-class neighborhood in, in New York. And, and the look in these black kids' eyes, and they knew that it was a learned thing from the white kids – you know, the, the white kids were like kicking them and yelling at them, get out of our neighborhood and stuff. And, but that's something those kids learned. And so then you come out as gay and, you know, a big part of coming out is, you know, what will our parents think? And we worry about our parents because they have this learned thing by society. They're worried for us in, in the, for the most part. You know, I think there are levels to what happens in it, you know, how they feel about it personally, but also how they feel that society will treat us. And then you get into being the idea of polyamorous, which, by the way, I looked up just so people that are listening know, I looked up the definition of polyamory or being polyamorous. It's interesting when you read the actual words, polyamorous is the practice of intimate relationships with more than one partner with the consent of all partners involved. It's been described as consensual, ethical, and responsible non-monogamy. I like that language because yeah, it's, sure. it's honesty, and it's – another thing that happens in the gay community is that we, we hear the word heteronormative, that are we aping – are gay men or lesbians or transgender, bisexual – are we aping what we've learned from society? And that's a question I don't know. I mean I got married. I got married in Canada to Michael, my husband who you know, in – 2003 before it was even legal in the United States. And I remember I was in uh, the National Touring Company of Chicago, the musical for a change, um, which I did for like eight years off and on. And we were in Toronto and it occurred to me two days before getting married that, oh, I should probably take the night off because I was a guy marrying another guy. and, (laughs) And like I... I didn't even know what the rules, like if two guys are getting married, like, do we treat this the same? Or, and do you know the cast, you know, in the theater community is very gay accepting. Yeah, yeah. Practically no one said congratulations. And they um, knew it was happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, it good. felt taboo because no one knew what to do. It was 2003. 
So the reason I say yeah. all this, though, is like going back to, you know, society and how they do this. And then you reach this kind of new level with having, you know, opening a relationship, which I think is awesome. As long as everyone's on board, I think it's awesome. I really do. We don't need to follow like some other rules or something, but I can understand. It's also like in the past couple of years, the idea of being transgender, totally different topic. But notice how in the past few years we've discussed what being transgender is and the fact that transgender people have existed through history. But now we're talking about it openly on newscasts and in podcasts and all of this. And, and it's yeah. – I'm, I'm just aware of how society is – I don't know if it's them evolving. I don't know if it's the internet offering us opportunities to learn and explore and in terms of knowledge – we Google things now. I just think it's just one more thing that, and I like the fact that you're writing, that you're putting this music out there and that you're sharing this because it is something people should talk about because it, yeah. I think it's good to be honest with you as it, one communication is good. And two, that you're putting a light on this. And I know you said in a, in a tweet recently that you were nervous about talking about these things, but I think it's a really good thing. I do. Sure. No, and I think so too. I, I mean, I have have so many comments. Everything you said, and I, I forgot half of them. But, but <laughs> well, I you're smarter think, than me, so just jump in. I think the conversation is the most important part because if we, re- you know, regardless of of how we feel about the societal rules, they're they're there. The rules and mores are there. But if we really start breaking down what it actually is, you know, the majority of heterosexual relationships are open relationship as well because because somebody's cheating on the other person. Or they get divorced. Right. They, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and I'm not saying that's the equivalent of an open relationship, but there certainly are ways in which people change and ways in which people's needs change and ways in which people's husbands or wives or partners stop meeting the needs in the same way. And I think that was a really hard thing for me is the idea of how do I not take that personally? I, I, I'm not blaming myself for, for, how, for how things went down. Or, or anybody. I'm just saying that my husband needed something that I wasn't providing. And I'm not saying that to shame myself. I'm just saying that he was going through something and changing. And he needed to explore something, which, which then I started exploring. And then I realized that I was not being, my needs weren't being addressed in a certain way. And so then I started, you know, and so then it just becomes this kind of free fall of, of trying to understand your needs while trying to be respectful of, of your husband's needs in the, in the heterosexual community doesn't really do that effectively because there's there's a a lot of there's a lot of ideas I think mostly about jealousy and ownership and I'm not really sure where they come from or if that's innate but but there's something that I I feel like is is entirely unnatural about jealousy I'm not sure it's natural I haven't I I have plenty of jealousy but I but it's it's always a process of me exploring it like why am I jealous about this especially men over women you know and and I think that, that it's really great that, that we, you know, everywhere you go right now, you see pride stuff. I mean, pride month is bigger than women's month. Oh my gosh. African American month. It's like everything is gay right now. And it's kind of mind blowing to me, but I do think that there's a flip side to that in the acceptance of it by the society at large also kind of starts pushing those norms onto us in a way in which we think, well, now we're accepted, so now we can live like that. When I see documentaries of, like, 
the gays in the in the 50s or 60s or 70s. I'm not idealizing the situation. Like I'm sure it was really, really, really hard. But when I see the way in which they loved and the free freeness in which they loved, it's really appealing to me. It almost always moves, moves me to tears because it seems like we have to do this thing our own way. And we had to be so militant about it because, frankly, it was a life and death situation. Right. And now, now we could be really passive about it. And I'm not sure that's the best way. I, I'm not a militant at all, you know. But I, but I also want to talk about it, and I also, I also am happy to fight for the things that I love. So, well, you know, it's interesting you say that because with it being Pride Month, like every day, literally, I am writing about Pride this, Pride this, and and also I'm, I'm relating things to the issue, whether it's for Instinct Magazine or the Randy Report. And one of the things that, that is interesting to me is, you know, you mentioned like the '50s and '60s when it was really kind of underground those kind of yeah. relationships. You know, Edie Windsor was with her wife for decades, long before they could ever get married. But then Stonewall happens. They'd had enough. The uprising happens. And then the 70s, for about 10 years, it was like gays got to come out a bit. And you saw a whole lot more. You saw, uh, you know, Matt Baum has this great series of videos where he talks about instances of people mentioning gayness in uh television episodes in the 70s and this was the first this or the first this and why it was significant and he's a really good storyteller i love what matt does is but that was the 70s and then the aids crisis happens and yeah what i've come to really understand is part of the reason well first of all people were dying and i yeah. I, I underscore that word as as heavily as i possibly can i was there i was in new york city at the time i was in new york city in the mid 80s i moved to new york city in 1985 and back in the day, you would hear of someone being diagnosed, and weeks later, they were gone. Gone. And I say that only because – so we had this underground thing. The 70s was this, this sense of freedom, and, there was, and then the AIDS epidemic, suddenly we were being demonized again. And yeah. they were saying, you know, absence is the only way. And when you see members of ACT UP getting mad in video clips and stuff, they were mad because it was all interpreted as – you're taking this away from us again, and that's where kind of the militantism came from because they're like, we stood yeah. up in 69. It's 20 years later now, 89. We're not going to do it again. And so at first we kind of fight for it, and then we kind of get there, and we think, well, is this really us? Maybe as gay couples, we do open relationships because we can be mature enough to know my needs aren't being met. This doesn't mean I don't my, love my husband. It's just there's a need not being met. And I think that's a valid thing. I really do. Well, I, I feel like, it, 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 you know, in many ways, it's a, it's a much more valid option than, you know, <laughs> what I've seen of, of, of my, my parents. What I see of my friends' parents or my contemporaries in, in, in the, the staleness of the relationship or the, the acceptance of, of it is what it is. You know, and maybe... Maybe that's the, the difference. Gay people always are, are searching for the thing that's better because it's harder, you know? And that's just truth of the matter. So maybe that's it. I'm always aspiring for to make myself better, to make my relationship better, to make the world a better place. And that, that's, that's important to me in all aspects of, of the world. Right. And, you know, the important thing about this whole topic of polyamory, which I read the definition, which I really liked it, is 
ethical, consensual, open, honest. You know, you mentioned how many, I think when the straight world, which I hate saying it that way, but for lack of better language right now, when they look at gays and they th- if they think that we're being, I don't know what, uh, promiscuous or something, but I, I think there's a big difference. If you are being honest with your partner and saying, we're going to do this, but we're going to be honest with each other. You know, I remember because, you know, my husband, Michael, is very flirtatious with everyone. And, and being charming and flirtatious is, is a gift of Michael's. And I remember early on, people used to say to me all the time, well, doesn't that make you jealous or doesn't that bother you? And it would end up being a, a two-pronged answer for me because I would say, well, no, because I happen to know that he's still walking into walls. He's so in love with me. And I, I do believe that. But also, I remember telling people... If he were to meet someone and fall in love and feel like he needed to be elsewhere, then I would want him to go. Like, I don't want anyone to stay in a relationship with me if that's not what they want. But it's mm-hmm. a matter of trust that brings all those threads together. I, I think that's true, too. And I think that was really how I got through it, just like. I have to be trusting in this moment and I have to trust the love that I share with my husband and the, the, the love that we've had over this past decade and the strength in which that holds. And that was really helpful in me moving forward as well. Every relationship is about trust to some degree, or there's an element of trust. And especially if you're married, you have to trust that. Or if you don't, then the lack of trust is a big question that people need to be exploring right there, yeah. there that that's its own thing i think it's even bigger i think the lack of trust is the thing that's the the hardest and i think it's great that mike could open up to you and i can only imagine the the journey that was through so many parts of through mike and you and your heart your mind how we process things at some point do we wonder what will people think maybe what do i think yeah, then I'll, let's I'll try it yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's it's weird, especially being a semi-public figure. No, you're a public you know figure. I mean? Yeah, yeah, so it's, you know, how do I engage in this? And, and I think that's what always makes me a little more thoughtful and intentional than, than maybe my husband or maybe other people in, in, in the same arrangement is, you know, I, I know word's going to get out whether I want it to or not, you know what I mean? And I know that other stories are going to get out whether I wanted to or not. So I have to be really intentional and honest in, in how I act. So you're going to address it first. Is that why you're talking about this now? Um, I mean, I'm talking about it because I made a really fucking awesome record. Awesome. <laughs> Great answer. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, and that's, that's the way that I feel. I'm so proud of this record. And I've never, I've never heard anything like it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. There we go. Let's do it then. You know, and I've I've never shied away from saying something differently in my career. So I I love how many bear performers there are right now and how many people express their love of bears. But let's not forget where that started, my friends. If you you hadn't opened the door to the whole topic, I mean, not to to assign sole credit, but if you hadn't opened the door to this, that that topic for bears with bears and also your song from a year or two ago, um, Round in All the Right Places, about how body positive and and not like having to be West Hollywood Twinkies or gym bodies or something. I mean, you you do open the door. And also, you know, going back to, I have to say, you are the only 
musician I have ever spoken to about uh, any of Plato's allegories. Uh, because I remember when we first interviewed back in 2012, uh, it was uh, Love Songs and The Dawn Underdogs of Man. And The Dawn of Man. And you yeah. started talking to me and you said, Well, I was thinking a lot about the allegory of the cave by Plato and in the allegory. And you started, I don't even. I didn't even know what the allegory of Plato and the cave was, and you like explained it. And I remember being on the other end of the phone, going, "This is just over my head." I like the song. <laughs> I like, and it's a cool song. And you explained it to me, and you talked about men in caves and the fire, and they see the shadows, but you walk them out to the light, and there's a whole new world. See, I learned something from you. Yeah, but like you've, you are, you've always been thoughtful, and you express things in really, really cool ways. And uh, yeah. even if the audience doesn't know we're talking about Plato's allegory, um, sure. I think an audience always gets a depth of what something means to the artist. And I think an audience knows yeah. that. I think an audience knows when you're coming from a sense of truth and, and something really important to you. I, I totally agree. And I think that, that with this record, too, lyrically, I was really conscious of that as well. Like I'm conscious of painting a picture that maybe people aren't going to understand but that people are still going to feel. How do you paint a picture that's, that's so visceral that they can't help but feel it, whether or not they understand what a key side is? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, in the yeah. song, I even notice there are things that songwriters do structurally. They can, you repeat things uh, at times to lend emphasis to something. And I notice in key side, like towards the end, you you keep repeating a phrase. I've listened to the song a few times. I, I really like it. How I long to do it. How I long to do this right. Yeah. And it's yeah. it. And at times it sounds like a question. And in times it sounds like a statement. And well, in repetition. Oh. Yeah. 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 And I get that. I, I get. But, but by repeating it, there's a sense of conflict and uh, yeah. involved. And that's yeah. what I get. Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm like figuring out you Tom Goss. I'm yeah, like yeah. paying attention. But the song finishes, and I go, okay, I want to hear the rest of the album now. Yeah, because there's definitely no resolution. <laughs> yeah, there's no resolution. I'm going to look. I think it's actually like 11. 11. So the new single's out June 28th, but when does the album come out? October. So we have this single. The video will come out on July 11th uh, for that, for Keyside. Then in late August, we'll have an, another single for a song called La Bufadora. One of the interesting things about this record is not only, obviously, we've talked about it being emotionally, um, a, a journey emotionally, but I also just was doing so much travel. All of these songs really are places. So Keyside is, is London. La Bufadora is La Bufadora, which is in Mexico. It's a, it's a place. Um, there's Amsterdam's on this record. CM Reap's on this record. Berlin's on this record. So it's a really kind of an, an interesting emotional, sonic, and actual physical journey as well. So La Bufadora will come out in August. There's, there's a version of that in English and Spanish. And then the, the full record will come out in October. This first song really sets the stage to make me want to lean in and listen. Absolutely. I should mention that you do have some concert dates this summer. Uh, one in Las Vegas I just saw. Well, I'm playing at uh, Bigger Vegas which is an event for big men and their admirers. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And you're playing, you're doing a, a river cruise in Prague later in the yes. year. How super cool okay. is that? It's really fun. So it's, it goes from Prague to Budapest, and so I'll be doing that. And I, there'll, there'll be a lot of dates starting to be announced um, in the next couple of weeks as I do 
as I as I do release shows for this record. So I'll be in L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Austin, D.C., New York. I probably missed some places, but just keep an eye out. Well, you are the tour king. You've never been afraid of the road. Like you are out there. And you I, always have I, been. I yeah, yeah, I love it. It's my it's my favorite. I haven't been on the road enough, actually. So I'm ready to get back. Thank you for taking the time. This is my first interview about this in this way. So it's great to have a friend to start chipping away at this. Because it is scary. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. I've just admired your writing for so long and your performing. And, you know, one thing I should say about that performing, and we're just talking about concert dates. I do tell people all the time, people who love your music, and I'm like, no, 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 wait. Wait, have you seen him live? Because... (laughs) I had not seen you live until you played Las Vegas the last time. I, I, I had never seen uh, you live. Well, you heard Berlin then, and you heard Be Somebody, which is a book on these records, around the piano. Yeah. Yeah, because you went to the piano in the lobby and played one mm-hmm. of the songs for us. Do tell people, though, that they can think they understand Tom Goss, but until they see you. My friend Larry, who uh, is the writer and editor of TheOutfront.com, uh, I've oh, gotten yeah, to know yeah, in yeah. the past, and he saw you in New York. And he was going, yeah. and I said, oh, wait till you see Tom. And he, he comes back and goes, oh, my God, I think I embarrassed myself because I liked it so much. Like, and, <laughs> and, and I can't remember if I think people need to see you. It's great to buy the record. If, you know, in case Tom isn't coming, buy the record no matter what. But uh, I do think seeing you in, in person is, is a whole other thing and your energy. And, and you, know, you know what we don't get is uh, you're an awesome guitar player. You know, you say you have no training. I was not prepared for like, like, I was like, well, look at him. Like, you know, I knew you played guitar, obviously, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you're really good at it. And, and like, you know what to do with it. And you're funny with the audience. And you want to hear something crazy? There's pretty much no guitar on this entire record. No. Yeah, it's all at the keyboard. My new show's like a keyboard and drums and loops. It's crazy. Awesome. It's so different. Yeah. You're like the keyboard toting troubadour now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's kind of a hassle because I'm like, I got all this fucking new equipment I have to lug. It's so all easy. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're going to have yeah. to think about how you do shows now. Like, like I know. It's like I'm building this whole thing so I can get it on planes and stuff. It's really annoying. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that is interesting. <laughs> whole new way of doing a Tom, Go- Tom Goss concert. Absolutely. <laughs> I screwed myself. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. I love it. I love the new song, and I look forward to the album, and I just think you're awesome. Thank you. I think you're awesome, too. And you heard Be Somebody, which is a book on these records, around the piano. Yeah. Yeah, because you went to the piano in the lobby and played one mm-hmm. of the songs for us. Do tell people, though, that they can think they understand Tom Goss, but until they see you. My friend Larry, who uh, is the writer and editor of TheOutfront.com, uh, I've oh, gotten to know in the past. And he saw you in New York. And he was going, yeah. and I said, oh, wait till you see Tom. And he, he comes back and goes, oh, my God, I think I embarrassed myself because I liked it so much. Like and, and and I can't remember if I think people need to see you. It's great to buy the record if you know in case Tom isn't coming, buy the record no matter what. But uh, I do think seeing you in, in person is is a whole other thing and your energy and and you know you know what we don't get is uh, you're an awesome guitar player. You know you say you have okay. no training. I was not prepared for like I was like well look at him like you know I knew you played guitar obviously but. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you're really good at it, and and Thank like you. you know what to do with it, and you're funny with the audience. And you want to hear something crazy? There's pretty much no guitar on this entire record. No. 
Yeah, it's all at the keyboard. My new show's like a keyboard and drums and loops. It's crazy. Awesome. It's so yeah. You're like the keyboard toting troubadour now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's it. It's kind of a hassle because I'm like, I got all this fucking new equipment. I have to lug it. So all easy. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're gonna have to think about how you do shows now. Like, like I know. It's like I'm building this whole thing so I can get it on planes and stuff. It's really annoying. Oh my gosh, that's a, that is interesting. <laughs> whole new way of doing a Tom Go- Tom Goss concert. Absolutely. <laughs> I screwed myself. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. I love it. I love the new song, and I look forward to the album and I just think you're awesome. Thank you. I think you're awesome, too. I want to thank Tom for speaking so candidly and directly about all the topics we just covered. And I want to remind you that Keyside is now available on all digital download sites. I'll have a link in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, usually shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. I'm going to play out with just a little bit more of Tom Goss's new single, Keyside. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. 